Well, wasn't that a great message from Susanna Hoke last uh, weekend? If you missed it, you got to go back and catch that. Well, thank you, Susanna. That was lovely. We've been reflecting on the cross of Jesus Christ. This is Lent. And historically, the followers of Jesus have taken the first 40 days ahead of Easter and used that time very intentionally to prepare for the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. The word Lent comes from an old English word, lengthen, which refers to originally the days getting longer, the lengthening days, which is springtime. So it came to mean spring, and that's how it comes into our parlance as the 40 days preceding Easter spring. And the days are getting longer. I give you that encouragement today as well. But we're praying here at UPC for renewal, for spring for new life, spring life, for an awakening in our lives and in our congregation. The Holy Spirit would pour out uh, the kind of life of Jesus Christ in us that, that we see beginning to, to hit the branches of uh, trees. The cherry blossoms are coming soon, and I pray also change in your life and in mine. This Lent, we're studying together the passion of, uh, of John's. St. John's Passion. It's his narrative of the suffering and death of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And as I said to you, as we move through John's account of Jesus' crucifixion, he introduces us to six characters, right? So we started with Judas, and Judas is a guy who didn't want uh, what he really wanted and found that God wanted him anyways, and then Caiaphas is the next character that we meet. Caiaphas is the high priest that points to Jesus who when he's being arrested says, don't take these other people, meaning his disciples, just take me. And then Caiaphas says, it's good that one man should die for many. Jesus dies, he gives us life, he offers forgiveness for those who do what they know they should not do. And then today, Peter. Now, we started Peter last week. Last week, we focused on what Peter does. Today, I want to focus with you on who Peter is. Peter, who doesn't seem to know who he really is. All right, let's pull out our Bibles, catch up with Peter as he discovers that he's not who he thinks he is and that he is much, 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 much more. Uh, let's turn to John chapter 18, verses 25 through 27. And if you're uh, just grabbing the pew Bible in the rack in front of you, it's the black book, you can turn to page 881. And if you're willing and able, let's stand and read God's word as an act of worship to the living word Jesus Christ about whom all scripture texts are written. When we're done reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord so that if you believe it, you can say thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're reading God's holy word. John chapter 18, verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They asked him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, the cock crowed. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what we just read never will. Please be seated. the moment that the rooster crows is the moment that Peter knows he has not just denied his Savior Jesus Christ, 
he's also denied himself. Think about that. He's denied himself. You are not also one of his disciples, are you? They asked. He denied it and said, I am not. Notice, I am not. I'm not that guy. Disciple of Jesus, I'm not. Who is the true Peter? Now notice, he's got two names, Simon Peter. John uses both here in this text. It's kind of a wink. They're both there. Verse 25, Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. Simon Peter, two names, okay? One from his family of origin, one that Jesus gives him. Who's gonna show up today? Who is the real Peter? When Peter meets him, he says, when Jesus meets Peter, he says, you are Simon, son of John. That's John chapter one, first conversation they have. And then Jesus immediately says, but you, are, you, you shall be called Cephas, or Cephas, which is translated Peter, John tells us. So you grew up as Simon. That's who your parents thought you would be. That's who your culture said you'd be. I'm telling you, you're gonna be, you're gonna be called Cephas. And now Cephas, that's the Aramaic word for rock. Um, and Peter, Petros, is the Greek word for rock. You're going to be a rock. You're going to be rock solid. That's, that's who I say you're going to be, says Peter. And so here's the question. Peter's there in this courtyard, and the question is, who's going to show up? Who's the real Peter? Are you Simon or are you the rock? Are you the guy your family told you you'd be? Or are you the guy I tell you you are? Are you the guy who sinks like a rock and drowns in denial? Or are you the guy that walks on water and is so solid in the storms of life? Are you my disciple or are you not? Who are you? What's John telling us? John is telling us that the cross of Jesus throws light on our identity. The cross of Jesus helps us answer the question, who am I? In the light of the cross of Jesus, our human constructs about who we are, our human identities start to give way to the light of our Savior. As we know him, we know ourselves for the first time. Here's how John would later put it in a letter that he writes he says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say that we have no sin, which is to say, if, if we're not at the cross, if we overlook the cross, if we don't come to the cross, if we say we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves. That's denial, that's deception, that's self-deception. We, de we deceive ourselves. But, John goes on to write later in the same letter, what we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this. When he is revealed, we will be like him. That's us. For we will see him as he is. Someday we'll see him and we'll see him looking back at us and we'll see the reflection of our true self in his eyes and we'll know ourselves for the very first time. I mean, friends, it... This is the whole message right there. I mean, if you just gave me three minutes, that's the whole message. If you need a little nap time, then go for it. Everything else is gravy, right? I'm gonna use up the rest of my time because I love to talk, but that's the heart of it right there. And if I could put it into a sentence, I would say this. 
the cross exposes my false self in order to illuminate a secure self, a secure identity in Christ. The cross exposes my false self, my false selves, to illuminate a secure identity in Christ. Who am I? Who am I? Who are you? One of my favorite childhood books is this book called Are You My Mother? Has anybody, do you know this book? Am I just too old? You, some, I, okay, so you might, I love reading this to our kids. I love it was, when it was read to me, Are You My Mother? Now, this is a story about a little bird who's on a journey to discover not just who his mother is, but who he is. What happens is, mother goes away to get a worm to feed him. He hatches while mother's gone. And so he's never seen another bird in his life, never seen a mirror, doesn't know what kind of a thing he is. So he goes on this journey, takes the first step. It's a doozy. He goes right down to the ground. And he starts walking. And he, and he encounters all these different creatures who potentially offer him uh, an identity, right? There's a, there's a cat that he meets. And he says, are you my mother? There's a hen. There's a dog we see here, a dog. Are you my mother? No, no, I'm not. how can I be your mother? I'm a dog, the dog says. And so there are other candidates, a cow, a boat, car, plane. Finally, he comes upon this steam shovel. And the steam shovel, you know, it's an old excavator. And the steam shovel, he, he, he gets into the, the bucket of the thing. He says, mother, here I am. And the steam shovel says, snort. And the bird says, you're not my mother, you're a snort. Right? Well, who am I? Am I a snort? <laughs> Some people think so. Some days I think so. What do you see when you look at me? It's a question that we ask ourselves our whole lives, actually. As a child, do you see in me a fun school kid who wants to join your game? Or, or do you see in me as a young adult this smart, sensitive date that, you, that just uh, carefully curated my online profile? Do you see me that way? Or do you see me as a, a wise and competent contractor who can get your job done? Or in the twilight years, do you see me as an elder in me? Do you see an elder who's maybe bent a bit, but who's lived a full and accomplished life? Do you see me that way? Or do you just see me as a snort? Who am I? Am I the person who my family of origin tells me I am? Am I the person that my genetics tells me I am? Or am I the person that my culture tells me I am? Or am I the person that I want to be and wish that I would be? The question is, who gets to say? Who or what gets to define my identity? You and I are so desperate to have answers to this question today. It's just the way we're made. We need to know. But in our desperation, we're willing to let almost anything give us an answer. Who, uh, give us an identity. My friends, my school, school that I went to, my work, my job, my GPA, the teams that I root for, my race, my politics, my singleness or marriage, the town that I live in, the car that I drive. I mean, the whole world is selling us, not products, but identities. And if you buy that, I mean, if any of that gets to say who you are, that's fine as long as you've got it. But what happens if it changes? What happens if you move to a different town? What happens if you're, you lose your job? What happens if your friends move on to other friends? What happens when you retire? Who am I now? And this is why I think that the modern identity is so unstable. It's so fragile, so insecure, so vulnerable. 
It only takes a rooster. The denial begins with Peter when he passes through the gate into that courtyard. Now here's what's interesting. John provides some material that none of the other gospel writers provide. So if you pull out your Bible, you look at John 18, verses 15 through 18. There you see a section that's only in John's account. He tells us that, that, that John passes through this courtyard gate. And the moment he does that, he's pretending he's someone he's not. And don't pretend you don't know what that's like. To walk into a room and, and pretend that you're someone you know you're not. Because you think this is what people expect of the one walking into the room. Peter does it. John 15 through 18 tells us there's a woman there guarding the gate and there are two people coming. Actually, two disciples are coming together. One is known and the other is not known. Is that interesting? Question of identity. The one that's known goes through the gate. Peter has to stay out there. The woman asks the question that we're talking about today. Who are you? And Peter's got a choice to make and he must have felt that if he gives her the true answer, she won't let him in. And so in a little bit of fear, Peter says, he pretends. She says, you, you are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Not me. I'm not that guy. You're confusing me with someone else. Uh-oh. He's pretending. And let me suggest that from lying about yourself to yourself, it's a very short step to lying about yourself. Sorry, from lying about yourself to others, it's a very short step to lying about yourself to yourself. And this is where the problem begins. This is a theme in John's gospel. Denial travels with self-deception. They take the journey together. You see it all over the gospel in John chapter 3. This is what Jesus is getting at when he describes himself as light that's shining in the darkness. And he says, but, but, but we, meaning us, we love the darkness. He's talking about self-deception. It's what we see in John chapter 8 where Jesus is talking about freedom and the people at the festival say, why are you talking about freedom? We're all descendants of Abraham. The descendants of Abraham have never been enslaved. And you're supposed to go, what did they just say? Because <laughs> if you know anything at all about the descendants of Abraham, it's their core identity that they are the people whom God rescued from slavery 400 years in Egypt. But these people in this moment seem to have forgotten that that's who they are. See, John goes, isn't this interesting? This is self-deception. John 8. And then John 9 Again, the theme emerges as this wonderful healing of a man born blind, but as John 9 unfolds and John narrates the scene, it's, he's very clever. He's very artistic, John. And it, it, at the beginning, it's one man who can't see. By the end, it's a whole crowd that can't see. The people who supposedly have sight are not even able to identify the God, guy that Jesus has just healed. So, so they're going blind. And what's more, they don't want to be healed. They don't think they need healing. Self-deception. Stuck here, by the time we get to John 9, stuck in self-deception. So here's, you know, St. John, nearly 2,000 years before Sigmund Freud and the development of modern psychology, talking about what we today call our false self. Isn't this interesting? When we describe the false self, what we mean is the self that I create for myself. The self that I want to be or the self that I more often fear that I have to be. The self that I feel I am or could be. 
Our false self is often our response to our family of origin and to our, our culture of origin. It's the self that I hold up for you. <laughs> and, I, and I hope that you'll believe that it is my true self. It's the one that I present to you. And then if I can present it to you and you believe it, then you can become an ally in convincing me that it actually is me, right? You can help me suspend my own disbelief that, oh yeah, that's the George, the one I want to be or fear I have to be. That's the real George. You, you become co-conspirators in the shaping of my own identity. So it's complicated, but it's, but, but it's all coming unzipped for Peter in this moment because he's coming into the shadow of the cross. This is what John wants to show us. This is brilliant. John reports in this text that Peter is at a charcoal fire. Look at verse 18. Note that. Remember that. I'm going to come back to that. He's at a charcoal fire. And he's with slaves. Which, remember, John's gospel is against the backdrop of, of the Exodus that's not a good sign for Peter if he's hanging out with slaves and police at a charcoal fire. What this means is this Peter is the false Peter and he's there in darkness, needing light from a paltry fire. That's the picture John wants you to think about in this moment for Peter. Now if we just step back and we look at the whole gospel, uh, what we realize is that Jeter, Jesus has Peter on a journey to discover his true self. We love Peter because we get so much of his unfolding journey with Jesus. But it's a journey of self-discovery. David Benner, you may know the name David Benner, he's a Canadian psychologist. He founded the graduate department at Wheaton College, uh, uh, Department of Psychology at Wheaton College. And, and David Benner wrote a book called The Gift of Being Yourself. And in this book, he has a little study on Peter's journey of self-discovery. And here's his, his thesis is, the more Peter gets to know Jesus, the more he gets to know himself. Think about that as you, as you think about what you know about Peter. That, that's, the, that's the hypothesis. The more Peter gets to know Jesus, the more he discovers who he, Peter, is. He's on this journey. He's moving from Simon the fisherman in Galilee, which is how we might identify him, to Peter the rock on whom Christ builds his global church. That's the journey that he's on. But it's not an easy journey because, and Benner points this out, Peter is wrestling with two things that he doesn't even know he's wrestling with at the beginning. And those two things are pride and fear. Pride and fear are shaping his life to such an extent Peter's not even aware of it. Jesus is helping him discover that. So think about Peter for a second. The height of pride is what he says in John 13 when he says to Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. Think about that for a second. This is in John. What's he saying? He's saying, Jesus, you need me to be your savior. What? He's got it exactly, that's the height of pride, to think you're the savior of the savior. And so it's there, he doesn't even realize it. And then, and then also think about fear. It's in this courtyard, we see it really pronounced. He's, it's a wake-up call for Peter. He's afraid of what the dynamics of that courtyard. He's terrified by it. And he says of Jesus, his closest friend, I never knew the man. Pride and fear. Now, these two voices... Pride and fear shape our lives as well. Pride is the voice in you that says you're more than enough. Fear is the voice in you that says 
You're less than enough. Pride and fear. The Bible tells us these dynamics shape our life. Genesis 3, there's a serpent in the garden. It's paradise, except the serpent starts lying. He's a liar, John tells us in chapter 8. He's a deceiver, John tells us in Revelation. And what does the serpent do? He simply provides some messages to the man and the woman. He appeals to their fear first. Did God tell you you couldn't eat from any tree in the garden? That's not quite what God said. But what does it do? Provokes the fear. Whoa. As if to say, what happens when we get hungry? Is God trying to hurt us? Fear. Then the serpent appears to their, appeals to their pride. When you eat from the forbidden tree, you'll be like God. Mm. As if to say, why care about this God and his silly rules when you can be your own God and make them yourself? Pride and fear. This is where the false self comes from. Hearing these voices, we construct our own identity. And, and it's an identity like that, a false identity that's driving Peter's life and he doesn't even know it. Peter probably thinks, that's just who I am. Or maybe he could put a theological twist on it and say, this is just who God made me. But no, oh no, that's who you've made you. That's who others have made you. That's who a fallen world has made you. That's who a broken body and a sinful soul have made you. That's what you've done with your pride and fear. And Jesus says, no, no. And the more you get to know me, Peter, the more you'll hear a different voice in your life, not pride, not fear, but the voice of love. And that's going to shape your life in a totally different way. Simon, you see Jesus grabbing him by the lapels. I don't know if they had lapels on the... You're going to be called Cephas. Petros, solid rock. Thomas Merton, a Roman Catholic monk, in the last century, he wrote this. Ultimately, the only way that I can be myself is to become identified with him, that's Jesus, in whom is hidden the reason and fulfillment of my existence. I mean, if you believe in Jesus, this has to be true. He is the hidden reason and fulfillment of your existence. The only way you can become yourself is become identified with him. Therefore, Merton writes, there's only one problem on which all my existence, my peace and my happiness depend, and that's to discover myself in discovering God. What could be more important? You see why John is writing this to us. <laughs> this is how we know who we are. Okay, so back to Lent. Lent is a season to ask ourselves, what light does the cross of Jesus Christ shed on our lives? And if you wrestle, I'd like you to wrestle with that question. Look at the cross and think of yourself. Let's let the cross speak to us. What do we hear? I think two things. I think we hear, like Peter heard, our situation is both worse than we thought and much, much better than we thought. Our situation is worse than we thought because, very briefly, the cross tells us that we're not who we think we are. We're not who we think we are. We too live in denial. We live in self-deception. The cross is God's judgment on all of our false selves. The, God is God, the cross is God's no. He says no to fear and pride. No. No to every sense of self that we construct independent of him. No to every creature who thinks they can become their own creator. 
No, the cross is the truth about where our false selves will ultimately take us. Crisis, shame, destruction. This is your future, the cross says, if you make your own self. Our situation is worse than we thought. Who am I? Hopelessly blind. We see that in the cross. But at the same time, our situation is much, much better than we think because the cross tells us we have a new identity, a new identity in Jesus Christ. Yes, the cross is God's decisive act of judgment on the false self. It is also God's decisive act of salvation, clearing the debris out of our lives to make way for a new creation in us. This is God's yes to all his beloved creatures for which God would give his only begotten son. I give my son for you. That's a new identity. That's the truth about who you really are. You, God sees you and he does not identify you with your sin. He sees you as a unique, unrepeatable miracle. Here we find the truth about where our true self ultimately takes us. Love and grace and justice and salvation. (laughs) Our situation is much better than we thought. Who am I? Yes, I'm hopelessly blind, but I'm also infinitely loved. We can say I once was blind, but now I see as I look into the eyes of Jesus. Remember what John writes in his letter. What we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this. When he is revealed, when he is revealed, Jesus, we will be like him. For we will see him as he is. Well, the real challenge for me in this is, do I believe it? You go, I hope you, I hope you do. You're up here on front. Like, but you know, I have to say, yeah, in my head, I do. But in my heart, do I believe it? I have to tell you, I find myself right where Peter is, at that gate in the darkness, almost every single day, wrestling just like him. He's sitting there going, Jesus said I'd be called Cephas. He said I'd be the rock, but I'm scared of this woman guard at the gate. And I find myself asking, do I believe it? Jesus says so much about me and so much about you, and it's great stuff. But are we always sure that we believe it? I find myself at the metaphorical gate with Peter, standing in darkness, going, "Ah, do I believe it? Do I believe it It was meant for me? Do I trust him in this situation? Would it make a difference if I did? Who am I really? So this is why we practice Lent, because we forget. Because the darkness keeps pulling at us. Because fear and pride keep speaking to us. They keep dragging us back into the shadows. But Lent brings us back into the light of the cross every year. That's why we practice this. In fact, just coming to church every week, I highly commend the practice. Come every week. Because when we come, this is what happens. We remember who Jesus is. And we, then we remember who we are. And, and we encourage each other tremendously. The, the smiles, the handshakes, the singing, our voices. When we hear our voices, the prayers. Most of all, listening to God's word. Telling us, oh yeah, this is reality. Wake up, George. <laughs> so here's what I want to invite you to do this week. I'm going to give you an assignment. And I want you to memorize a Bible verse. This is your takeaway. Memorize a Bible verse that tells you who you are. Write it down on a piece of paper, put it in your pocket, carry it all day, don't wash your jeans. Uh, you can take a, uh, put it on your lock screen, you can tattoo it on your arm or use regular ink if you like, but um, 
if you don't know, I'm going to give you some verses. If you don't have anything that comes to mind, a verse that tells you who you are, let me give you some verses that come out of the Passover because remember John's account of Jesus' passion is rooted in the Passover narrative. And so here's what the Lord says about Israel and about you. Who am I? You are my firstborn child. Who am I? I will fight for you. Who am I? I'm the Lord who heals you. Who am I? You are my treasured possession. Who am I? And this is Isaiah reflecting on the Exodus. I created you. I formed you. I have redeemed you. I will be with you. Memorize one of those verses uh, this week or another one that you pick. And then I would encourage you to share it with somebody. You can say to one of your neighbors, you know what? I've been carrying this sheet around because it reminds me of who I really am. And you know what? It's true of you as well. You might encourage someone this week with a Bible verse. Here's a quote from David Benner from the book I mentioned before. He says, genuine, genuine self-knowledge begins by looking at God and noticing how God is looking at us. How does God look at you? What do you see in God's eyes made known to us in the face of Jesus Christ? See, Peter finds God is looking at him on the other side of the cross. This is part of the story. Susanna mentioned it last week. Jesus comes and finds Peter. He didn't wait till Peter finds. Jesus comes and finds Peter. And of course, there he is. He's, Peter's gone back to the old Simon life. He's fishing. Jesus calls him out of the boat and he forgives him and he restores the relationship. But he also restores Peter's relationship with himself. He restores his identity on the other side of the cross. Listen to the words that Jesus says three times. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now a lot of times we come to this, we focus on the love part. Just forget about that for a second and just think about the, the way Jesus addresses Peter. What does he say? Simon. That surprised me. Why not Peter? Simon, he says. Uh, it's not even Simon Peter. It's just Simon. Why? Now, I have a theory. Here's my theory, that Jesus is saying to Peter, in essence, I want you to know, Peter, that I love you even when you get it wrong. That I love you even when you get yourself wrong. I love you as Simon, and you never have to ever be Peter or Rock or Cephas for me. Isn't that cool? And actually, this is what will make Simon the rock. It's, it's not until after the cross that Simon realizes he doesn't have to produce his own identity before God, but he can actually rest in the solid identity that God gives him in Jesus Christ that makes him become rock. Now he's Peter. See, when he rests, not on his own assertions of strength, but on the, his, the, the strength that he finds in God, Savior Jesus Christ, in the midst of his weakness. He's got a new identity that is rock solid. And there isn't anything that could take this identity, shake it, break it, or take it. This is why, and I want to come back to that charcoal fire, this is why John notes that Peter is looking into the eyes of Jesus in the scene across a charcoal fire. It's the only other time it's mentioned. Verse 9 of chapter 21. What is John telling us? He's saying, don't miss the change. Now Peter knows who he is. He's got his answer. He's not in the darkness anymore. He's glowing in the light of a resurrection dawn, a new morning, a new day. 
So as I say today, the lesson from this text is the cross exposes my false self to illuminate a secure identity in Christ. Can we end with a bedtime story? Let me just, do you know how the story ends? Does anybody, <laughs> I had to look it up. Uh, so I, we were last there with this steam shovel. This turns out as unattractive and unappealing as it is, the snort has, a, an, like the cross, an important role to play. The snort lifts the baby bird up to mother, back up into the nest, back up there. And then, lo and behold, mother comes back, and there's this little, she's finally revealed. Now at last, the baby bird sees another bird, sees his mother, looks into her eyes, sees her love, sees the appealing worm in her mouth. The baby bird is home. And the mother says, do you know who I am? And he says, yes, I know who you are. You're not a kitten. You're not a hen. You're not a dog. You're not a cow. You're not a boat or a plane or a snort. You're a bird. And you are my mother. And with that, the journey is over. The little bird has the best possible of all answers to the question, who am I? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, how far you have come looking for us on the far side of the cross. How far you have come in time and space to look into our eyes this morning. We open our eyes. They're the eyes of faith, but they're all you say we need to look into your eyes and know who we are. Truly, for the first time, perhaps, and for all of eternity. We pray right now that for those who have not given their lives to you and said yes to you, that you'll stir in their hearts an awakening that will call them to this moment of decision with faith. We pray for all of us, Lord, that you'll just remind us again, oh my gosh, this is reality. And help us to live in that reality. We pray for those moments and for the people right now who are facing that tug of darkness. Lord, would you liberate us and them, free us to walk in the light of life that is made possible through the work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.